morning everyone and a very warm welcome to Hillhead at the Grosvenor. Our service this morning will be led by our Minister Katrina and as usual everything we need to follow the service will be both on the screen and on our printed order of service. Please stay for a cup of tea and coffee at the end. Thank you Anne. Our call to worship this morning is taken from the story of Jacob, a place that came to be known as Peniel. And Jacob, in this story, has been wrestling all night long with a stranger. The stranger said, what's your name? He answered, Jacob. The man said, but no longer. Your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, it's Israel, which means God wrestler, because you've wrestled with God and you've come through. Jacob asked, and what is your name? The man said, why do you want to know my name? And then and there he blessed Jacob. So Jacob named the place Peniel, which means God's face, because he said, I saw God face to face, and I lived to tell the story. Names are important, and naming is powerful. So today, as our thoughts turn towards some of the names we use for God and how this shapes our faith and life, we begin by singing together, bring many names, beautiful and good. Hail and Hosanna, bring many names.
I don't know if anybody else listened to the Radio 4 service this morning. I didn't catch all of it. I came in during the sermon um, and immediately recognised who was speaking, which is Reverend Dr. Doug Gay. And he was speaking on the theme of Trinity and also for Father's Day. And there was a phrase he used which really stood out to me because I always struggle with do we mark these days that celebrate or, or focus on mothers or fathers. And he said, we call God Father not because we must, but because we may. And I thought that was a really helpful thing. As we think about the language we use for God, there is less must and more may. So we're going to pray together, and as is our custom here, once I've led us in an opening prayer, we will join together in the Lord's Prayer, where we do indeed approach God, if we so wish, as Father. So let's pray together. God of the ancients, who worshipped you without ever knowing your name, we marvel at the wonder of a nameless God, a God beyond description, a God who inspires awe and wonder without being seen, a God who speaks creation into being, a God who breathes life into your creatures and grants them freedom, a God who draws the pain of sin and death into your very being. A God whose love is endlessly replenished and inexhaustible. A God who accompanies your children through dark valleys. A God who leads those you love to lush pastures where they may rest and play. A God who inspires poets and psalmists musicians and artists, scientists and philosophers. A God who knows us by name. A God who shares every moment of every day, from conception to the grave and beyond. A God beyond description. Accept our faltering praise and hear our halting confessions and lead us deeper into the mystery of who you are as we blend our voices in the words Jesus gave his followers saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. <coughs> Thank you. 
Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh Lord my God, Thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Who coverest Thyself with light as with a garment. Who stretchest out the heavens like a curtain. Today we're going to be talking about the Bible class. So just who and what is the Bible class? Well, it does what it says on the tin. It is the Bible class. We've been going for a year and a half now, and at the moment we're the three of us. And we're all very musical, by the way, and we like to think and analyse things, sometimes choosing topics in a random way. And it's amazing how often trivial small talk leads on to deep discussion. Just in case you don't know who's who, let's introduce each other. This is Ailey, who is 12. She plays lots of instruments, including the flute and the piano, and is about to start at the music school based in, at Douglas Academy in Mulgai. She will stay in a residence during the week. Ailey often sings in the choir at St Mary's Cathedral. Most weeks she helps setting up all this church music stuff early in the morning. She reads a lot and thinks a lot. She's very interested in birds and may go on to study ornithology at university. This is Freya, who's 15 and about to go into fifth year at Shawlands Academy. She plays lots of musical instruments, including the guitar, bass guitar and ukulele. Freya hopes to go on to study English literature and language.
This is my little sister, Sarah, who is about to go into third year at Shawlands. She also plays the ukulele and guitar and is very fond of animals, as we both are. We have a dog called Elsie, who we've had for two years. We have three main leaders at the Bible class. Leo, Leo, who is 19, deputy piano player here at the church, about to go into third year at Glasgow University, where he studies computing science. Leo also plays the church organ in Pollock Shields Parish Church from time to time and occasionally sings at St Mary's Cathedral. The two old leaders are Anne and Neil. <laughs> Marit occasionally is a leader as well. So what do we actually do in Bible class? The two main themes are either interviews with people here in the congregation about their faith journey, usually by Anne, we have interviewed people like Graham Little, Nazi, Nanny, Ruri, Jeff, Joan, Holly and many others. We have done a lot of Bible study, mainly Old Testament, led by Neil. We thought about the difference between wisdom and knowledge and found the difference confusing, so we looked at a powerful, horrific story. There were two women and two babies, but one of the babies died and they were fighting over whose baby the survivor was. So King Solomon, Solomon ordered the living baby to be cut in two. The real mother said, no, just let her keep my baby. So Solomon gave the baby to the real mother. This really explains the difference between knowledge and wisdom, and it's not the kind of story you get in Sunday school. And so thinking about Solomon, whose surname was Davidson, led on to Proverbs, so let's look at one of them. Getting involved in an argument that is none of your business is like going down the street and grabbing a dog by its ears. Does this mean the Bible contains humour and possibly sarcasm? Well, some of the words of Jesus could be very funny if you were not so familiar with them. A camel going through the eye of a needle or a log in your eye, or describing James and John as sons of thunder because of their bad temper, or maybe this is sarcasm. We began to see more and more about the language of the Bible, frequent use of metaphor, analogy, or parable, constant use of the story to explain things. With Jesus being Jewish, we entered into the Jewish way of thinking, such as remembering their escape from Egypt, their use of Hebrew poetry where the ideas usually said twice using different words. This is a rhyme of meaning rather than, the, rather than sound and frequently happens in the Psalms. Jesus was certainly steeped in the Old Testament ideas. That's why he so often answered a question with a question. Examples include, whose head is on the coin? Who was a neighbour to the man in need? Which one of you has no sin? There's a story about a Jewish boy asking a rabbi why he always answered a question with another question, to which the rabbi replied, why not? <laughs> so we'll end this bit with a quiz. How many books are there in the Bible? Yes. And what language is the Old Testament written in originally? Yeah. What language is the New Testament written in? Yeah, Greek. <laughs> what language did Jesus speak? Yeah, yeah.
which is similar to Hebrew. How do we know that Peter was married? He had a mother-in-law. <laughs> what did Paul make for a living? Which book in the Old Testament tells a story of a man who experienced many disasters that were not his fault and not punishment for sin, but who refused to blame God for his undeserved suffering? What was the occupation of Luke? Who played music to King Saul as a type of music therapy to help him cope with his depression? Just stay there a moment, girls. Firstly, thank you so much. Um, thank you to those who have worked with you and, and guided you over this last 18 months since we reinstated the Bible class. But thank you to you for just being the wonderful young women that you are and for coming week in, week out. When I, I visit ministers in other churches, they are so jealous <laughs> that we have a Sunday school and even more jealous that we have a Bible class. And now they're going to be even more, more jealous because we have a Bible class so you can stand at the front and lead us. So thank you so much for that. As is our custom, we like to give you a gift each year from the church. And this year we're going to give you um, the Message New Testament and Psalms. I think you've been using the message a bit with Neil particularly, haven't you? And I, I used a bit from the message this morning for our, our call to worship. So we have one for Ailey. Thank you. We have one for Freya. And we have one for Sarah. And just a prayer for you before you go. Freya, Sarah and Daly, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and be gracious to you now and always. Amen. Thank you, girl. Thank you. So a God who has a sense of humour, a God who we know through metaphors and stories. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit can make connections between things completely independently prepared. We're going to sing again before the children and young adults leave us. Loving spirit, loving spirit, you've chosen me to be.
first reading this morning is from Exodus 3, verses 13 to 15. Moses said to God, If I come to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is your name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said further, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this my title for all generations. Some words from the letters of Paul. As many of you as were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. You have clothed yourselves with the new, sorry, you have clothed yourselves with the new self, which has been renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free. But Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Some words from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He also said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I can go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Amen.
God, we name you beautiful. Your loveliness pierces our joy with longing and beckons us through the everyday with dreams of the unattainable, like light shimmering through silk. God, we name you mystery. Your hiddenness evades our grasp. Reaching to what is beyond, we clutch at reflected light and shadow, then open our hands to find them empty. God, we name you holy. Your flame draws us from our indifference. Yet we shrink from the heat, which would scorch your passion for justice into the fabric of our lives. God, we cannot name you. Our words falter, stutter into prayer, and in the silences between, we catch the secret whisper of your name. This last week, I have been up in St Andrews at the annual Ministers' Conference. It's a gathering of around about 100 men and a handful of women. There were six of us this year. There is a keynote speaker, and he was very good this year, I have to say. A selection of seminars, and there is time to connect with other people. Overall, it was a positive experience. And I did have some quite pleasant conversations. Each day of the conference, there is a main session, which is effectively a service. We sing hymns and songs, we listen to scripture, we hear the speaker talk to us or preach to us or address us, and then we pray together. This year, because I knew I was coming back to lead a service thinking about the names we use for God on Trinity Sunday, I paid extra close attention to the language that was being used by others in their prayers and in the hymns that we sang. I'm sure you can guess which words we used the most frequently. Father, Lord, Almighty. We even had an omniscient. And these are good and valid names for God, but they're skewed. They are exclusively male. They are predominantly the language of power and prestige and status. And the hymns and the worship songs took this a stage further. We had language of battle, of darts, and shields. If God is beyond names, and God is, then by restricting ourselves to male power language, we diminish our understanding of God. And at worst, we risk imagining God to be some kind of powerful male figure 
that we actually know in this life. We, we make God in the image of a president or a pope or a, a priest or a prime minister. If God is beyond human comprehension, and God is, then by selecting only names and metaphors that are easy to understand, we risk limiting our knowledge of and encounter with God. And however we understand God, that will unconsciously shape our understanding of and attitudes to the world of which we are part. I've always loved the story of Jacob wrestling with a stranger all night long. And then as the first lights of morning streak the sky, the two of them stand there exhausted. Maybe they're panting. Their arms and their legs ache from the exertion. And one of them has a permanent injury to his hip. Their eyes meet and the stranger asks of Jacob a question. What is your name? Because names matter, and mattered especially in that culture. And Jacob is given a new name, Israel, which means wrestles with God. And then Jacob, who wrestles with God, asks the stranger, and what about you? What's your name? And the stranger doesn't answer because God doesn't do names. And yet Jacob, who wrestles with God, understands and names that place God's face because this is where he had encountered the nameless God face to face. And that mattered. Moses' encounter with God was very different, but it was no less mysterious. We know the story well, that he was drawn to a bush that seemed to be on fire, and yet it didn't get burnt up, and so he, he went to investigate. And just like Jacob, he wanted to know who it was who was speaking to him. What is your name? He asks. And this time God does answer. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. I will be who I am. I am who I will be. It's a mysterious name, a puzzling name, and actually, at least on first hearing, a bit of a meaningless name. A God beyond names, yet whose creatures yearn to name. A God whose creatures yearn to call them their own and to be able to relate to. This morning, and incredibly briefly, we're going to look at four categories of imagery used for God in the scriptures and begin to think how this might 
affect the language we use and the way we understand our relationship with the triune God in whom we believe. Anybody remember the old parlour game, animal, vegetable and mineral? Or 20 questions, I think it was sometimes called. Well, this is a little bit like that, except there's an extra one. Animal, vegetable, mineral and abstract. And we can find examples of all four of those categories in the short extracts from the scriptures we heard this morning. But once we start thinking about it, I'm sure there are plenty more that we can add. Let's start with animal images of God. These are many and varied, whether God as human or God as a creature. The Bible has many images of God as female, as a human mother, as a mother hen protecting her chicks, as a mother eagle teaching her young to fly, and as an angry mother bear protecting her cubs from, pre from predators. And of course there are images of God as male, some of which are indeed powerful, the king and the judge. But not all male imageries are particularly powerful. What about the shepherd, who is strong and courageous, but also vulnerable and gentle? And at least allegorically, what about the young lover in the Song of Songs? So an exercise to the reader. This is Trinity Sunday. This is when we usually focus on the three personae of God. So if you were going to try to name the persons of the Trinity using animal images from the Bible, what might you choose? I'm not going to make you do it out loud. But here's a couple of thoughts, just literally off the top of my head as I was typing this. What about shepherd and sheep or lamb? and dove, or eagle and bear and hen. And if we use these kind of images, how might that affect our relationship with God, with others, with the world? There aren't quite so many vegetable images of God in the Bible, but they're there. In John's Gospel, Jesus describes himself as the true vine. And he describes himself as bread. And then, as we heard in those little extracts from the letters to the churches in Colossae and Galatia, God is clothing. I might be pushing this a little bit, but if we assume that the clothes are made of linen or cotton, then its origins are vegetable, plant-based products. The writer speaks of us being clothed in Christ, of dressing or being dressed in the image of God. If we think about clothing, that it gives us dignity, that it keeps us warm, 
perhaps that it can protect us from harm. What insights might we gain about the God who clothes us, about the God who is our clothing? So if you were going to choose a vegetable, plant, or derivative from plant image from the Bible to describe the Trinity, which three might you pick? The garment of love, the cloak of salvation, the scarf of joy, the vine stock, the branches, and the grapes. And again, if we allow ourselves to use this kind of images for God, what might we gain from that? You know where this is going now. We're moving on to think about mineral images of God. And there are loads in the Bible. We've got something like a tower or a fortress, a road, a rock, salt, things created and things natural. How might those images express something of the mystery of the Trinity? A stable rock, a safe shelter, a winding road, or salt that savors, preserves, and heals. Finally, Oops, I had myself there. There are, I didn't see that. <laughs> there are abstract concepts. And John's Gospel gives us several to play with. Though there are plenty of others through the Gospel, through the sweep of the Scriptures. God as truth, as life, as light, as wind, as water, as breath. How do abstract metaphors of God help us to grasp a little more of the mystery and wonder of God's godness. So far, I have consciously separated out the images, the words and the phrases into, into these groups using a very simple but logical scheme because I'm a simple, logical kind of a girl. A trinity described by metaphors are exclusively animal or vegetable or mineral or abstract. But that's not entirely satisfactory. We might need to stretch the metaphors too much. But also, it runs that risk again of reducing God to something that we can tidily define and control, which is to deny the real mystery that is God. No matter which ideas we pick, they're only ever partial and imperfect. And that's why I want to offer another image, another metaphor that is one that I like very much. And that's the child's toy that is a kaleidoscope. What if we imagined these metaphors and images and names and ideas as tiny chips of colored glass inside a kaleidoscope? What if God is all of these things and more? 
And yet somehow in the mixing and tumbling of these ideas, we generate endless beautiful images you can't neatly categorize in much the same way as God can never be fully understood or named. And what if these images draw us not into a God who is three men, or occasionally two men and one woman, but as a dynamic, swirling, dancing mystery in whom we discover our true identity and in whom we become part of a never-ending story. And if that's true, does a traditional understanding of the Trinity have any worth? Is there still space for us to speak of God as Father, Son, and Spirit? I think the answer is yes, albeit a qualified yes. If we use language lazily, if we use it in ways that demeans others and perpetuates unjust power structures, if the only language we use for God is male power battle language, then we have a problem. But if we allow other scriptural insights to widen our understanding of God, then these traditional images, as part of something infinitely more complex and mysterious, have beauty and truth to inspire faith, hope, and love. And so the choir are now going to sing us a song in the traditional language of the Trinity. now a story by Brian Wren. Once upon a time, a king, a prince, and a royal ambassador lived in a castle with three great thrones high above all things. 
The king and the prince sat in state, while the ambassador came and went like the wind, going about through all creation. Choirs of angels sang their praises. Throngs of elders kept on casting down crowns at their feet, and the prayers of their devoted subjects rose like incense all around them. One day, the king could stand it no longer. He stopped the angel choirs in mid-chord and bade the elders put their crowns down quietly and leave them there. Heaven was filled with a blissful silence, though the prayers kept on rising. Just then, the ambassador returned, and the prince, the king, and the ambassador pulled their thrones into a circle and made plans. We're both tired of sitting here, said the prince to his father. So what shall we do? If you will, said the king, I would like you to go and live among our people. Know them from the inside and show them who we are and how passionately we love and care for them. That's exactly what I had in mind, said the prince. But tell me, dear dad, and tell me, dearest friend, what will you be doing? I'm going to go round and about, said the king, until I find a more worthy occupation. And I, said the ambassador, have places to visit, people to see, and meetings to arrange. So the prince left his high throne in glorious robes and went to live among the people, who knew him as one of themselves, and loved, and hated, and killed him. His body was laid in a rocky tomb in the middle of a garden and sealed with a great stone. On the first day, the sun rose and set. The tomb stayed shut, and those who loved the prince mourned his passing. On the second day, the sun rose and set. The tomb stayed shut, and some mourned, while others said that life must go on and went about their business. On the morning of the third day, before dawn, a gardener came to the garden. He rolled back the stone, and the prince came out, full of life. In the same moment, a traveller stood with them, and all three embraced and wept and laughed together. Well, Dad, said the prince, I see you've changed your occupation. Yes, said the king. I've always wanted to take up gardening. Can't stay long. There's a whole earth to look after. What will you do with yourself now you're alive again? Your old room's up there if you still want it. Can't see him going and sitting up there in solitary, said the traveller. He's got all history before him. My thoughts exactly, said the prince. I promised to stay with my friends, and I've still got my trade. Carpenters are always in demand. There are hopes to make and people to mend. And we'll all three meet again, here and there and as and when. But what will you be doing, dear friend of friends? Ah, you know me, said the traveller. Places to visit, people to see, meetings to arrange.
Then the gardener, the carpenter, and the traveller went their ways in time and space. Their thrones sat empty in heaven, while the elders dug and planted trees on earth. The people's prayers were fragrant with justice and peace. And the angels sang songs of new creation. And a prayer. Storyteller God, like a mother telling nursery tales, comfort us with words of enchantment, of spells of goodness and beauty, of dangers faced and overcome, of quests followed and destinations reached. Storyteller God, like an old woman telling of ancient wisdom, weave a web of words around us, tales of love and justice, of passion and desire, of life and death and new creation. Tell us your stories until they live and breathe in us inspiring us to live our story until it becomes one with yours. Then, when all tales are ended and all stories done, let us sleep quietly in your arms. Amen. This next hymn was written by one of my college tutors at the time I was training for ministry. So it's a song that has travelled with me a long way and keeps me thinking about how I understand God and I'm understood by God. God who shares my journey with me, take my spirit in your hand.
Now let us bring our prayers for others and for ourselves. Let us pray. O God, our Father, we bring our prayers to you on this Sunday when the Church celebrates the doctrine of the Trinity, the belief in God, the Father and Creator, his Son, the Lord Jesus, who brings salvation to the world, and the Holy Spirit, who grants us grace to live out our lives in this earthly world. When we look at the enormity of this wide world with its teeming millions of people spread across the continents, we can but marvel at your providence for each and all, and yet we have been taught that your love is unbounded and your care and concern without limit. And yet we know that it is individual people within the families of nations who are given the commission to organise societies through the medium of political and economic systems. And thus we would pray today for the leaders of nations that they might be prompted to act justly and fairly in the distribution of wealth, that the well-being of all may be their principal concern. We consider our own, our own nation and its relations with our near neighbours in Europe. Only last week we celebrated 75 years since the D-Day landings, which eventually led to peace. And today we would pray that we might find a solution to our present-day differences and embrace cooperation in the common cause of the promotion of peace, prosperity and health and the preservation of our environment for future generations. We pray that the current political turmoil in Britain may soon be settled and that wise and mature leadership might arise to unite our divided nation. In a more local focus, we pray for those who hold office in our local government, in the leadership of industries and in our many community concerns. Within the wider Baptist Church today, we are asked to remember the national leadership team as they encourage the churches across the whole Scottish land. We also remember today the students and staff of the BMS World Mission Partner at the Bethlehem Bible College as they study for their online diploma in biblical studies. We give thanks for all the work of BMS Worldwide and all that they do to work and witness for the Christian faith. And we would pray for our own church fellowship here at Hillhead, asking that we not, may not weary in well-doing, but continue to serve you faithfully, seeking to influence others in our work and community and family life to the glory of your name. Finally, we would ask a special blessing for all who are going through a time of trial, those whose personal life may be trying, those who are unwell in body or mind, those who await the result of medical tests, those who are burdened by the responsibility for loved ones, those who have simply lost their way and do not know what to do. May each and all find through your Holy Spirit the grace to persevere, and may each one realise that God our Father loves each and every one of us as if we were the only one to love. Amen.
God, who we meet in so many ways, accept these, our gifts of money, and may they be employed wisely and well to share the good news of your love throughout the world. Amen. Our closing hymn is a modern hymn to the Trinity. carried from here on the wings of the mother eagle. May we be kept safe under the shelter of the hen's wings. May we be protected from harm by the mother bear. May we dwell in the strong tower built on rock. May the oil of gladness soothe our wounds. May the savour of salt enhance our lives. May we be clothed in gentleness, kindness, and love. May our feet be shod with the gospel of peace. May we put on each day the mantle of hope. May light illuminate our paths. May truth inform our thoughts. May love infuse every moment. And may the triune God, beyond knowing, beyond naming, keep us and all creation, now and always. Ooh.